My kid and I took a drive out to the west side of the valley today. I've been missing that kid. She hasn't been staying here all the time uh, during the pandemic. One of our things we love to do is just drive around the country and see things. She's been fascinated by masonry for some unknown reason. Some book she read. We've been going to rural cemeteries in small towns and finding the mason symbols. I'm not a mason. Then again, I'm not sure that I'm allowed to tell you if I am. I went to a mason's funeral once for my, my buddy Jack, and they did their whole elaborate ritual right before our our folk singer friend was about to do his thing. An old boy who's a folk singer says, Wow, that was really something. You got a whole thing going on here. I thought you were just a group of guys got together and drank whiskey. Anyway, that's about as far as my experience goes. I don't know much about it. But she's interested in exploring around, looking for those signs went out to the west side over by the edge i guess the eastern edge of the mendocino national forest it's really beautiful right now she starts singing the hills are alive with the sound of music except she did it in a beautiful clear teenager theater singer voice i had a friend growing up his mom was from austria she came out to california Flew into San Francisco, started driving north up into the valley. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful here. It looks just like home. She used to tell this story. And she said, so they went back to Germany. They got married. They came back a month later. And it looked like this. And she points she points to like the living room or wherever she is, but you know what she means because everything's scorched. And she says, and I cried every day since. <laughs> it was funny. I don't know. She might have meant it. I don't know for sure. It's a Jason Isbell song um, I like called Tupelo. It says they get about a week of spring and the summer's blistering. It sounds like a, how it is around here. You got to learn to love it dried up and hot. Or you're not going to love it at all, I guess. But anyway, it sure is beautiful in that moment of green before it turns into a tinderbox around here in Northern California. You know, there was a school of American painting called the American River School based around here in Sacramento. And, uh, you know, obviously like up the American River. But uh, it, it's really interesting. I think the paintings are, are cool. You can recognize some spots, but... Um, you know, it's overly green, I guess I would say. It's really, really heavily derivative of the Hudson River School. And, and artists like Thomas Coles, who uh, essentially is credited with inventing American landscape painting. And, and I am interested in the Hudson River School. Uh, and I would say that, you know, at a certain point around here in the early spring, late winter, there are a few days when Sacramento Valley looks a little bit like the Hudson River Valley or the Connecticut River Valley, which is also represented in some of these paintings. I was thinking of these two things together, not incidentally, because uh, 
to be a particularly good student of the Hudson River School painters, you have to also be a student of Freemasonry. Crazy as it sounds. And I don't really know as much about it as I should. Thomas Cole, who was, as I mentioned, the most famous of these painters, was also famous for leaving a record of uh, his participation in Freemasonry in his landscape paintings. Probably the most famous example of it comes in what is probably also his most famous painting, uh, which is the Oxbow. The 1836 painting was originally called View from Mount Holyoke. It's overlooking an oxbow on the Connecticut River. It's a, you know, it's a real spot. But Cole layers into it various uh, signs of uh, Freemasonry, Mason symbols. On the horizon line, uh, right to the right of center on the hill in the painting, there's something that looks like a clear cut or, I mean, you might think it looks like a, a ski hill if you spend a bunch of time back east looking at, at those, what I would call little mountains, being from California. Um, and uh, they're Hebrew letters that say Noah on the one side and Shaddai on the other, uh, which means the Almighty. So this is interesting and kind of complicated. You know, the the kind of key symbol of Freemasonry is the symbol for the incommunicable name of God. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, God is called El Shaddai, the Almighty. You see, my time at Brandeis was not ill-spent. And my reading of the Hebrew Bible also tells me that uh, on Mount Sinai, God told Moses his name was Yahweh or Jehovah. You know, God of the fathers, God of Abraham. And uh, so that makes sense that, you know, that, that, uh, that the mountain portrayed looking from Mount Holyoke, I'm not even sure what mountain it is, to tell you the truth, uh, might be the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So in part, he's playing around with the old Puritan typology where, you know, uh, events from the Old Testament are restaged in the New World. But there seems to be at least something different going on here as well. I don't know what Coles believed or what was going on here exactly, except for that there's a reference to God disclosing private knowledge to a special person. Um, and I think that's probably the conversation here. And I guess we'd have to think of Cole as the Moses of this analogy. It's not incidental that he puts himself into the painting, too. There's a self-portrait embedded in the landscape painting. In fact, I think it's only masquerading as a landscape painting, to be honest with you. I read the painting as a commentary on emerging technologies. You start to see sailing vessels, ferries carrying horses across. There are fires in the background that seem to be um, from homesteads or maybe even factories. And uh, you see all kinds of agriculture at work. And then right to the right of center at the bottom edge of the painting, you see coals or you see an artist with an easel and a parasol and some you know kit for making the painting um, out there in the out there on the edge of the wilderness on the wild side of the painting, looking back at the tame side of the painting. He seems to position himself as somebody who's you know 
on the joint between the natural and the man-made world and able to interpret um, its details for us. And uh, these details are pretty available um, to the viewer when you go see the painting. The painting is about the size of a sheet of plywood. It's in the Met. You can see it. And, and I'll say that you can really see those details. I mean, the little painter man in the in the lower edge of the painting is, is very easy to discern as are, um, you know, as are the various uh, vessels and the various, uh, you know, methods of agriculture that are displayed in the in the painting. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I, again, I don't think I know enough about Freemasonry to know exactly how he's engaging in that mythology, but he certainly is not simply saying that Americans are the new Israelites in the new world, as the Puritans did 200 years before him. He's saying something private beyond that that uh, I would say I can't access. I don't have I don't have insight into, and I wish I did. It's a weird thing for me to do a podcast saying to you that I don't know about a painting. I mean, I know a lot about the painting. I know what art historians say about it, and I know how, you know, I have interpreted it and thought about it. But the Freemasonry aspect of it is still fairly elusive because I think that few of us have access to uh, the code. But there's some conversation in the painting that's private, and that is enduring, and that is still there as a record for the people who can read it. Um, and that's sort of independent of its function as a very famous painting by a very famous American painter um, that's been on display in the Met for generations, since 1908. So Coles could simply be, um, you know, identifying as a Mason uh, through these symbols in the painting, and he could be also, uh, you know, building in a little bit of an inside conversation with his patron, who was also, uh, you know, a wealthy and well-known mason. It could be as simple as that. I guess maybe that's how secret societies work, in a way. I mean, there's not something, you know, particularly necessarily um, patently there in those secrets, there's the absence of another story. There's the secret itself, and the secret itself creates a kind of mystery that's enough to sustain, um, uh, you know, the sense that there's private knowledge, I guess. I don't know. I think it's a great painting. I like it. I spent a lot of time with it. I think maybe, you know, Part of what happens, you go out into the natural world and you see something beautiful like that and there's a tendency to want to graft it onto some sort of mythology you know or even superimpose that mythology upon it, which is maybe more the case. So Cole sees a hill as a mason sees a hill. You know, the oxbow is my favorite of his paintings and, and, and maybe his most famous in a way... But I think probably in the world, uh, and also, you know, he was considered to have kind of invented American landscape painting, but I think the, that his reputation is more staked on the series that he was working on contemporaneously with it, which is called The Course of Empire. 
And the four panels of the course of empire, four paintings, start off with the savage state or the commencement of empire, the Arcadian or pastoral state. In the, quote, savage state, there are a bunch of Native American stereotypes that are fit for my last podcast on Westerns. In the pastoral state, we see white people coming into the, into the conversation. And then in the third painting, the consummation of empire, um, we see like these Greek uh, or Roman, I guess, probably buildings full of all kinds of Roman architecture, more, uh, you know, symbols of Freemasonry and all of that sort of stuff. And what's interesting is that when the, uh, he was working on that painting at the same time, and it was the same size as um, the Oxbow. And when the Met x-rayed the painting, he'd overdrawn in the beginning of the canvas the same architectural structure um, from the consummation of empire onto the Oxbow. In other words, the buildings that are in the consummation of empire are outlined in the Oxbow. And if you look at them side by side, it's pretty easy to see that the horizon lines and the diagonals and much of the structure of the painting really maps from one painting to the next. And then there's the overlay of the natural world upon that architectural structure. And again, there are masonry references in there to Solomon's Temple, Tabernacle of Moses, Noah's Ark, all of that stuff. But really perhaps most interesting to me is if we make this identification, so we've got this Hebrew writing, we've got you know these messages from God that again are connected to masonry, but I think are also connected to technology and, and development. The identification between this painting and the consummation of empire is important because the next painting um, is called Destruction, and it shows the destruction of, of empire. And, and uh, that's the course of empire. That's the final stage is destruction. And there's the language of Freemasonry in every one of these paintings from all of the stages, if we look at it carefully, I suppose. I truly think all this stuff is interesting, but in an ancillary Sunday drive kind of way. Good art doesn't have a key. And if it has a key, it transcends the key. There's an article on Pose, a cask of Amontillado, that asserts that, you know, we're reading all of this wrong because we don't understand that the that the story is full of, of uh, you know, the signs and symbols of Freemasonry. And if we see it in that context, we'll read it as a 19th century Mason read it. But I don't know that that gets us anywhere. I mean, I'm not a 19th century Mason, but I'm still really interested in the kind of level of psychological insight into the nature of revenge and jealousy that the story has. And in terms of the practical code, again, it assumes, uh, you know, you have a reader who can understand it. I mean, as I mentioned in the Election Day podcast, when Poe was dragged into a cooping scheme and killed in Baltimore... I'm sure that he made many of the Freemason signs that are designed to appeal to fellow Masons to come to your aid, but they obviously didn't save him any more than um, keying out a direct relationship to these Masonic signs in these pieces of art will get you any further into an understanding of the art.
And the oxbow definitely transcends any kind of esoteric mysticism that's embedded in it. And what seems interesting to me is that Cole seems to be suggesting that by 1836, uh, America had already reached the consummation of empire and that destruction was next. And I would say if it doesn't maintain that balance between the wild side and the settled side of the painting, which is to say that that the natural world as a, a place over which humans have dominion is good up until a point, but it needs to uh, end at a certain point or it will cause our destruction. And that's a kind of environmental um, consciousness and projection that's pretty modern. And uh, I would say that Coles was way out ahead of his time in terms of that. And it might have to do with his, uh, his uh, connection to Freemasonry and his practice um, as a Freemason. So again, I think the Mason stuff is interesting, but more important to identity than to interpretation. I think he makes them as a gesture of identification more than as secret knowledge. Masons see Mason signs in things like this, and lay people see whatever draws their attention. In the poem that frames uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's great essay, Nature, in the, in the 1849 edition, he writes, The eye reads omens where it goes, but he almost fails to recognize that each eye reads a different thing. Based on the world it lives in, the language it speaks, and the culture it comes from. You know, people see what they're inclined to see, and that includes both the painter, the patron, and the extended audience. And, you know, we've, through museums and a, and a movement to democratize the viewing of these, uh, these paintings, uh, have access to, to the thing and have access to the conversation. And ultimately, it, 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 might, it may or may not have been a conversation that was intended for us, but the Mason part of the thing, I think, is, is merely interesting. You know, my kids saw in the... In the hills, the sound of music. My friend's mom saw Austria. My granddad would have seen a place to ride a horse or drive a jeep. Farmers see soil in the cities. You know, we see the world through the lens that we have for seeing it. And uh, that's one of the beautiful things about art. When people who don't share the same lens see it, they see something different in it. They see themselves in it. And... Uh, I certainly see myself in this Thomas Cole's painting and and the contrast between the quote civilized side and the quote wild side and, and the cautionary tale that we should not overly develop the land is something that still particularly resonates with me and I think with students and when I drive over to the west side of the valley there and I see that you know, they're maybe maintaining that balance to a certain extent. Uh, you know, maybe because it's not as profitable to raise cattle over there as it once was. Maybe because you can't grow anything else. Maybe because it's so arid and such hard country over there in the summertime, which is most of the year around here, um, that it's prevented that from overly developing. Whatever it is, I think it's, it's good. And I really... Uh, enjoy being over there and I really like to think about uh, the landscape around here in a conversation with 
the tradition of East Coast landscape painting because it's a different land and we see it with different eyes. And I guess that's the point. Anyway, friends, thanks for listening. I got back to a little bit of my art history stuff in this podcast, which is something dear to me. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, I hope you're following along and checking out these paintings online. And and, uh, if you don't already have a relationship with them, then starting one. That's about it. Help the podcast. Like, subscribe, and follow if you're not currently doing that. And please uh, tell a friend. All right, thank you. I'll see you next week. Be well.